You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for November 14th, 2021, the 25th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 8. Our service begins with something known as the Collect of the Day. And the Collect, which is spelled like collect, is to collect the thoughts of the day. And Reverend Elizabeth this morning prayed the Collect of the Day that is the favorite of so many of us. And in the Collect, we acknowledge God and, and thank the Lord for giving us the scriptures for our learning. And the guts of the Collect are this phrase that we are to hear, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the scriptures. Now to continue this gastronomical metaphor, today our, our gospel is a very, very chewy piece of scripture, and it was hard for Jesus' followers in his day to digest, and it's even hard for followers today to digest. So let's have at this gastronomical delight. And what Jesus is talking about is prophecy about the destruction of the temple. So here's, here's the platter, here's the context. We are at the beginning of chapter 13 in Mark's Gospel. There are 16 chapters in Mark's Gospel, and the whole of chapter 13 is sometimes referred to as the Olivet Discourse or the Little Apocalypse, and the reason is it takes place on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus is talking about apocalyptic things, things about the end of time. It is the longest discourse of Jesus in Mark, and it is almost fully picked up and appearing in Luke and in Matthew. Now, where are we joining Jesus on his journey? We are at the end of Jesus' time up in the temple in Jerusalem. Those of you who have been following week by week, remember we've uh, been up in the Sea of Galilee area for much of the time. We came down the uh, Jordan River, crossed over this side, came back, went to Jericho, up to Jerusalem. And so for the past, past few weeks, Jesus has been in the temple precincts teaching. The passage begins, as Father Justin just read, as Jesus came out of the temple. So this is the last time that Jesus is in the temple and he's separating himself uh, from the life of the temple. And one might say some presence of God and the divinity of Christ is leaving the temple as his life is hurtling toward his crucifixion. To understand the weightiness of what's happening in the scriptures today, we have to understand the import of the temple. The temple was the center of meaning and identity for all of the Jews in Jesus' day. It was the national and religious and historical and political hub around which everything swirled in the, the Jewish life and understanding. Uh, it would be as if one was to take the U.S. Treasury, the White House, the Congress, and the National Cathedral and put them all in one building. And yet, even with all that and all the symbolism that brings for us in our country, that is still not enough, but we get the sense of the import of this one building and the life that it represented. So the scriptures say, as Jesus leaves the temple, an unnamed disciple says to him, look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings, exclamation point. Then Jesus asked him, do you see these great buildings? Okay, 
Let's talk large stones. So true. I mean, enormous stones. The historian, the ancient historian Josephus wrote about the stones and he says that some are 60 feet long, 11 feet high, 8 feet deep, each weighing over a million pounds. Now you can see these stones at the subterranean uh, area at the Temple Mount. So I, those of you who have been to the Holy Land, you know that if you uh, go to what is so-called Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, the, the wall where people put their prayers, the, the most holy site in Judaism today. Uh, on the left, there is a, an area and underneath where the Hasidim uh, uh, study their scriptures. And just left of that, there is a stairway that goes down 75 feet in the ground. And at that subterranean level, there's a path that you can walk at the foot of the Temple Mount. That is where Jesus walked for the Jesus, the Jerusalem of Jesus is 75 feet below the Jerusalem that we know today. And the first time I walked that path, I was dumbstruck by the size of these stones. I remember thinking that they were larger, and this is something only some of you will remember. Do you remember the Cadillac in the 1960s, the full-blown big Cadillac, the one that was so wide and so big, had the fins on the back? These stones are bigger than those Detroit Cadillacs from the 1960s. They are <coughs> huge. Now, above that, there is what is known as the Temple Mount, or Harim el-Sharif, which is what the Muslims call such a place, the, the Temple Mount, and that was constructed or laid out by Herod the Great, who was really Herod the Great despot, a terrible, terrible man. But he was an amazing Herod the Great engineer, incredible. And he began this work on the Temple Mount 50 years before Jesus is there talking about it. And that work was still continuing during Jesus's day. For those of you who've been there, you know it is three football fields by five football fields to get some sense of the size of it. In other words, it is 35 acres. And the temple itself, which Jesus called a great building, was a great building, known far and wide. The walls of the temple were 150 feet high. Now, I texted Jill yesterday when I was putting this together, and I said, how high is the ceiling of the church? Everybody, take a look up. Make your bet. Jill, who was at home, got online, went into her files, and texted back to me, 56 feet. That's 56 feet high, and the temple walls were 150 feet, and the exterior walls were white marble. The ancient historian Josephus, the historian of the Jewish people, wrote, and this is what he's writing about the temple. For it was covered all over with plates of gold of great weight, and at the first rising of the sun reflected back a very fiery splendor, and made those who forced themselves to look upon it to turn their eyes away, just as they would have done at the sun's own rays. But this temple appeared to strangers when they were coming to it at a distance, like a mountain covered with snow. For as to those parts of it that were not gilt, they were exceeding white. This is the white stone that Father Justin referred to 
in the podcast, if you listen to the podcast. They come out of the temple, and then Jesus says, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Biblical scholars across all areas of biblical scholarship agree that this is an authentic saying of Jesus. No scribe penciled this in because it seemed as though Jesus should have said such a thing. We also know that Jesus was not the first of the prophets of doom for the temple. In previous manifestations of the temple, in previous times, right, uh, there were Jeremiah and Micah who prophesied against the temple and were castigated for it. And Jesus' prophecy against the temple, as you may remember, is used against him at his trial. Remember Jesus' trial before the, the elders, and one of them stands up and says, he said he would knock down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Remember this? This is a, a misquoting of what Jesus said about the temple. In other words, to speak against the temple is really the most difficult of things. Now, one of the parts of the passage I like really is this Markan motif that we've gotten used to as we've listened to the scriptures, where Jesus makes public pronouncements that most people don't understand, at least his followers don't understand, and then he takes them aside and teaches them privately. Now, this is easy for us to envision today, for it says, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, many of you have sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the mosque or the Dome of the Rock, right? And, and uh, so if Jerusalem is here, there's a little valley, the Kidron Valley, and then the uh, uh, Mount of Olives rises up above it. They're very close, and there's an incredible view of the Temple Mount. Uh, in particular, for those of you who've been there, Dominus Flavit, which Latin for uh, the Lord wept, this is uh, a church built where Jesus is crying over Jerusalem. And so now he is there and he's with Peter and James and John and Andrew. Love that, right? So we have two sets of brothers, all fishermen who work together. In John's gospel, Andrew is the first of the disciples called, but he doesn't seem to get the nod very often because Peter, James, and John are clearly the ones who Jesus, in the synoptic gospels, is constantly pulling to himself. So now we have Andrew. I've been thinking a lot about Andrew lately. Now, he is the patron saint of Scotland, but I think Andrew is also the patron saint of all who pray and periodically feel like they get a special visitation with Jesus, as Andrew does here today. They get Jesus together. They're overlooking the temple, and they say to him, tell us, when will this be, and what will be the sign that all things are about to be accomplished? So Jesus then uh, enumerates the signs, right? There'll be false messiahs that will lead people astray. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. In the generation that followed Jesus, so in other words, in Hebrew understanding, a generation is 40 years. In the generation that followed Jesus, all of those birth pangs came to pass. There were false messiahs. Josephus, the historian, names a few. Paul comes up against one of them in the Acts of the Apostles. There are rumors of war. There was rumor of a great war when the emperor Caligula wanted to put his 
put a statue in the temple. Everyone thought war was going to break out. It didn't break out. There was war, the War of 66, the Jewish-Roman War, the, the Jewish Revolt. There were earthquakes in various places. We know one in Phrygia in 61. And Pompeii, which we all know about, was buried in 63 AD. And there were famines of the time. In other words, all of the stuff that Jesus is predicting happened uh, soon after Jesus' death. And these birth pangs did give birth to the thing that Jesus said would happen, for the stones were thrown down. Roughly 40 years after Jesus' death, Jerusalem was sacked by the Roman armies and the temple was destroyed. An incredible sacking, an incredible destruction of the temple led the number two man in the Roman army was a man named Titus, who would eventually become the Caesar, would eventually become emperor. So the Romans plundered the temple. They took the gold and they did their best to throw down stone upon stone so they would not be left one upon the other. And again, for those of you who've been to Jerusalem, you may have visited the place where you can see that the stones were literally thrown down. This is on the outside of the walls of one area of the Temple Mount, and you see these enormous stones that clearly have dropped into the ground at all these odd angles, and there is a pile of humongous rubble. Nowadays, that area is an architectural dig and a museum, but it is essentially a museum to the truth of Jesus' prophecy. Now, this morning when I got up early just to make sure I had something to say to you all this morning, uh, I wrote down WWJSAIDTP. Remember the WWJD, this was all in that same sense. In other words, what would Jesus say about interpreting and, and digesting this passage, right? So just to be clear about this, this passage is not about us, and it is not about the signs of our times. We have incredibly crazy things and difficult things happening in our world today, but that is not what this gospel is about. This gospel is about Jesus, and it's about the signs of his times, and it's about the truth of his prophecy. So what would it be like if we got to be Andrew and hang out with James and John and Peter and to say to Jesus in private, you know, how are we to ingest this scripture and digest it and make something of it in our own lives? And perhaps Jesus might say something like this. Jesus speaking to us, do not put all your trust in earthbound institutions. They are all vulnerable of being thrown down even when they appear to be impregnable. Put your trust in me. I am the temple. I am the foundation on which you can build your life. I told you this in the parable of the two builders, the one who built on the sand and the one who built on the rock. I am the rock. 
because I live, you will live. I am present with you now, and I will be present with you when you die and enter the land to come. Cleave to me as you walk through this life with its false messiahs, its wars and rumors of war, with its earthquakes, famines, and floods, with its shaking and quaking institutions, for I am eternal life. This sort of understanding is in keeping with the opening collect, which as I said at the outset, acknowledged that God gave us the scriptures for our learning. We were to study and ingest them and digest them. And the purpose of that is that we might hold fast to eternal life. In the, in the para, I mean, in the collect it says everlasting life, eternal life, the same sort of thing. And what it is to say is that eternal life, that the living Christ the living spirit is with us now and will be with us forever. And that eternal life is in Jesus. And that all of the scriptures, all that we study, all of this is so that no matter what is happening in our crazy world, we might experience the rock of the living Christ and therein find our life. can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanaan.org.